ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. If you've ever done a job interview, which I'm guessing is most of us, you'll know how at some point, usually towards the end, some variation of the question, what is your greatest weakness, will get asked. And you'll also know how the acceptable answer is usually some variation of... I have extremely high standards. I give everything 150%. I'm a perfectionist. 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 Yeah. Our culture really seems to value perfectionism. Because, in one sense, it does create external value. You nail that task, you achieve some goal, your boss is happy, you get praise. But the thing we don't account for enough is the cost of perfectionism. And that cost is generally more individual and internal. I think perfectionism is kind of a fool's dream, <laughs> in a way. Uh, like, the, the goalposts keeps getting moved, so you never quite can sigh and be satisfied and proud of yourself. I don't mean to say it's like foolish, like people who aim for that are fools. I really don't mean to say that. But like, it, you know, it doesn't really exist. I was always thought so like, I'm not good enough. I'm lazy. I'm dumb. I'm not working enough. The work that I turn in isn't good enough. You don't have to guess how damaging that kind of thinking can be to a person's general mental health. But here's a link you might not be aware of perfectionism is strongly associated with one mental health condition in particular. That's eating disorders, especially anorexia. There's a real rigidity to anorexia, and that I think maps on quite well to the rigidity that can be associated with perfectionism. So that is the angle of perfectionism we're going to focus on today, because anorexia has the highest mortality rate of all psychiatric illness. Perfectionism can make it all the more deadly. I had this idea that I couldn't eat anything. And that if I ate anything, I was a failure. I'm Sana Kadar. This is All in the Mind. I remember when I was seven and being in year two, I was always very slow at doing my work. And I would often get kept back during lunch because I had to like catch up on the work I was doing. And I remember feeling like this huge amount of shame and it was something that I worried about a lot. And so I like worked very hard to try and get faster and faster. This is Jamie. That was the beginning of kind of realising that there was something wrong with me and that I wasn't meeting these kind of external markers that other people were placing on me. I became very focused on being the best in class. I was... I wasn't top of the class ever, but I was, like, probably in the top five. And so there was always this feeling of, like, I'm doing well, but I'm not doing well enough. What would you say to yourself in your head? Uh, It was always thoughts of, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I need to work harder. I'm lazy. I'm dumb. I'm not good at this. Things like that. Were these things that your parents were saying to you, or where did this sort of self-talk come from? Yes, I think it was. The voice in my head definitely had the same kind of tone as my mother. Probably they weren't saying those exact things, but things like, you're smart, why are you not getting better grades? You should be doing better than this. Both of my parents were pretty emotionally abusive, so it was a very, like, cold kind of upbringing, always just walking around on eggshells. 
Jamie says her perfectionism was like a survival strategy. If she was good enough, if she was perfect, her parents would have nothing to criticize. It didn't work. Around the age of 12, Jamie began developing an eating disorder. It was the end of year seven and I was going into high school and I was really anxious about that and I developed this thing where I would get very nauseous every time I ate. And then I noticed that I had this kind of, this weird feeling of power when I didn't eat Mm. and that I was getting more attention from my relatives who were very upset that I wasn't eating. And I think because I didn't get a lot of attention, it was kind of this like, this new thing of like, oh, okay, if I, if I don't eat, like, people care about me. By the time Jamie was in university, she was obsessed with reaching a dangerous goal weight. And I remember I started a blog where I would log all of my like, um, dietary intake and all of the exercise that I did. And it had entries like, I had an apple today, I'm a failure. Wow. And things like that, because it was... The only way that I was going to be good enough was if I didn't eat anything. So food was failure. Food was failure, yeah. And Jamie's perfectionism made those thoughts all the more punishing. But let's take a step back for a minute and figure out what defines perfectionism. Because on the one hand, it's synonymous with things like having high standards and being super focused, which aren't terrible things. So where does it all go wrong? I think often when people think about it, they think about it as just having high standards. And the way we think about perfectionism is is more complex than that. This is Anna Bardone-Cohn, professor of psychology and neuroscience at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Her research focuses on how perfectionism interacts with eating disorders. A lot of researchers have talked about there being sort of two underlying factors, and one is a little more considered a healthy or adaptive perfectionism, and that could be a focus on having high standards. Mm -hmm. And then the other is considered more unhealthy or maladaptive, and that often includes things like being very self-critical about not meeting, you know, your high standards, also feeling that others have really high expectations for you. Right. So, and what is the positive adaptive kind of perfectionism look like in a bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely. And I should say, (laughs) there's a caveat to this in the sense that um, when we look at perfectionism just as having kind of high standards, it's still related to eating disorders. So we call it positive, but it's not completely positive. Um, But yeah, so, so I guess what I would argue, you could think of maybe positive perfectionism as being something like having high standards, but being okay when you don't meet those, like not taking those too much to heart, not beating yourself up about it. I think that actually a lot of people would think is kind of a good way to be. You know, we, yeah. we having high standards uh, lets us achieve, you know, pretty amazing things. So it's not that they're inherently bad to have. It's just how do you react to them? So, you know, when you don't meet them, you kind of revisit, see, do I change something? Or maybe that's just too unrealistically high and I'm okay with that. I think that would be, you know, truly positive and healthy perfectionism. Right. And so in the other form is just like, sounds like a lot of self-loathing, self-criticism involved. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's absolutely. So kind of um, like evaluating yourself all the time. And then the other aspect that doesn't fit as neatly into that, but still has that evaluative component is again, feeling others just have very high expectations for you. You know, others expect me to be perfect. 
Mm. And so how does perfectionism, the umbrella, interact with eating disorders and then the subtypes with eating disorders? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a long history of, of thinking of perfectionism broadly conceived as associated with eating disorders. And historically, that especially was thought of as being linked to anorexia nervosa, which is characterized by usually very restrictive eating and, you know, low weights. And there's a real rigidity to anorexia. And that I think maps on quite well to the rigidity that can be associated with perfectionism. People do what I mentioned to you about moving the goalposts. So, you know, I had uh, a person who kind of wanted to get to below the three-digit mark, and so um, in pounds, right? Mm-hmm. There, yeah, not kilograms, but um, but then it sort of felt like, no, I, I, you know, this is this is settling. Right. This right. is kind of not and that's not who I am. And I'm someone who always kind of tries to do better. And so now it's 95. Wow. Uh, yeah. That that was really striking and, and sad. But Professor Bardone Cohn says anorexia is not the only eating disorder connected to perfectionism. People with bulimia nervosa. So that is a recurring pattern of binge eating and then compensatory behaviors like purging. Also tend to have perfectionistic traits. And one thought there is that if you have really high standards, you're inevitably not going to meet them all the time. Right. And so then if that contributes to you feeling sort of negatively about yourself, uh, a term that uses aversive self-awareness, individuals might be seeking ways to sort of zone out from feeling so badly about themselves and engaging in binge eating. It's, it's not an adaptive way to go, of course, but mm. it can be reported as a sort of temporary way of zoning out from how badly you're feeling. So Perfections can be linked in sort of a different way, perhaps, to bulimic symptoms. And then your question about, yeah, the different kinds, really we see certainly the more maladaptive version is very strongly linked to both anorexic behaviors like fasting and restrictive dieting, as well as bulimic behaviors, binge eating, purging. Mm -hmm. The adaptive version is also associated. It's a little more mixed how strongly it's associated, but we do see a linkage with this more kind of positive perfectionism still being very elevated in people who are um, suffering with eating disorders. Right. Okay. It's just that the maladaptive form sort of has a bigger effect. That is is what we see, yes, in the literature. And so how much harder is it to treat a person with an eating disorder if they're also a perfectionist? Yes, hard, harder, definitely. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, perfectionism can be a barrier to people entering into treatment to begin with. Um, the thoughts are there that in part it can be, well, if you're going into treatment, the ideas change and you might not be in control about some of that. And that's scary for perfectionists. So we see that they're uh, a little more hesitant to get into treatment. And then once in treatment, individuals with perfectionism who have eating disorders do not fare as well in terms of outcomes. Mm. So yeah, so it's, it's, it's concerning enough to the point that One of the often used therapies for eating disorders, it's called CBTE. It's sort of the cognitive behavioral therapy for eating disorders. Mm. And they have a core set of modules that focuses on eating disorder behaviors and that kind of overvaluation of weight and shape, right? Kind of judging yourself um, too much by that. But then what they realized is there are some people who just aren't getting better the way we would hope and expect that they might. And what they realize that there's some sort of maintaining mechanisms that are getting in the way. And so they bought these extra modules in and one is on perfectionism. So realizing that for some individuals who have an eating disorder, if they also have very elevated levels of perfectionism, you really need to be tackling that as well 
to get to better outcomes uh, with the eating disorder. And is that the main way to do that, you know, this modified version of CBTE? So that's the one I think that is the most kind of in place and has the most research on it. There are other studies that sort of tackle perfectionism and then kind of see what comes of that in terms of you know, besides perfectionism being lower, hopefully, does it have sort of downstream effects on disordered eating? And there has been some support for that. There isn't as much research. Mm. And I guess the stakes are really high here because eating disorders, at least anorexia, as far as I understand, has one of the highest mortality rates. And so yep. if it's harder to treat people who have this with perfectionism, that's that's deadly. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. So I think um, and that's often a surprising fact for people. And so this is a group that's especially at risk for like the worst possible outcome. Mm. And yet they haven't if they have perfectionism, then it's going to be harder. So I do think in terms of like future directions, that's something that we really need to kind of work on to figure out how do we do more maybe accurate assessment of perfectionism and then bringing in perfectionism as a target of treatment when you're working with someone with eating disorders. And it could be interesting to think about is there even like a, a staged model? So could you just focus initially on kind of like baby steps with perfectionism and helping people understand that it's not that we're saying you should no longer strive for, you know, high high goals. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how you react to that. And so it would be interesting to see if that can get loosened up a little bit and then kind of, you know, moving on to helping address the eating disorders. But I think there's a lot to still be figured out there. This is All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, the connection between perfectionism and eating disorders. So Jamie, who you heard from earlier, developed anorexia as a preteen after struggling with perfectionism since childhood. Her story is pretty remarkable because she never got treatment for her eating disorder or her perfectionism. When I was about 16, I it got to a point where I wasn't eating at all and I was like noticeably thin. And I think probably at that point I should have been taken to a hospital or a doctor for treatment. My mum noticed and like threatened me with treatment. And she said that she would, if I didn't start eating, she would force me to go to hospital and they would connect me to like a drip and I'd be force fed. So I could either decide to eat or it would be forced on me. That made me think that treatment was like a punishment. So I kind of avoided treatment. I think also I always just had this idea that my problems weren't really significant, that there was people that had it a lot worse than me and that I wouldn't actually qualify for any kind of um, treatment or care. Wow. And so you, you spent this whole time, your whole adolescence, not actually getting any psychological support then? No. So eating disorders are like one of the most deadliest mental illnesses. How did you escape that whole experience alive, especially given the fact that you had no mental health support? Yeah, I um, it's kind of crazy. I think because I wasn't eating and because of my childhood, I developed a chronic illness towards the end of my first year at university and I became really bedbound. And then I started to see some holistic doctors that would like teach me about how my body was working and how the medication and the vitamins that they were giving me were going to help. That was the first time that I actually cared about my body because it wasn't working and it wasn't doing the things that I needed it to do. 
Probably a big turning point was learning about how early childhood trauma and perfectionism leads to chronic illness and to eating disorders. I think that helped me develop some compassion and it made me realize that like the issues I was suffering from weren't created by me. Mm. It wasn't because I was a terrible person or a failure. It was because I didn't have the support and love that I needed when I was growing up. And then starting to do kind of more like somatic trauma-based therapies. There was lots of little moments during therapy where I've like started to kind of unpack my problems and develop a lot more of like a kind of voice. Jamie is now 31 and a consumer researcher at Curtin University in Perth, where she works on studies about eating disorders and perfectionism. She also does peer support work. Even in just like in small ways, I am providing people with knowledge and, and care and support that, that I didn't have. It's almost like I am able to like travel through time and go back and, and give my younger self what I needed and didn't get. Yeah, gosh, yeah, healing your younger self, I guess. Yeah, it's like um, by helping others, I'm healing myself. Do you still struggle with perfectionism now? I do. It's definitely something that I'm working on. I think um, I'm currently working on learning to make mistakes and kind of understanding that it is okay to make mistakes and that, you know, if I face consequences, then that's okay and... Mm. There's no mistake that's going to be so bad that I can't work through it. Mm, yeah. And do you still struggle with an eating disorder now? Um, I do. It, it's not so... It's probably more that I'm struggling with body dysmorphia, which I mm. think is like the after effects of the eating disorder. And so occasionally I'll have thoughts like I need to, to stop eating or I need to eat healthier I need to do a lot of exercise, but I'm much better at like recognizing that voice and being able to kind of to not act on it. And in your work as a peer supporter, how often are you coming across people who have eating disorders who also struggle with perfectionism? Gosh. Um, so the place that I work at has two sections and one section is like more long term. And then there's like a short term section that is for people that are in crisis. So I see a lot in the crisis section. I would say that every single person I've spoken to that has an eating disorder also has some signs of perfectionism. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do all eating disorders have an element of control or perfectionism? Like, can eating disorders exist without perfectionism? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I know that with anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa, um, I mean, they, they, so they can exist, right? But there's just a very strong relationship with, right. with those. With binge eating disorder, which is a disorder where there's recurrent binge eating, but without the compensatory behavior, so there's not like recurrent purging or excessive exercise, the, the um, research is a little more mixed on that on right. whether how strongly that is linked to perfectionism. Um, and then there's another category called OSFED, otherwise specified feeding and eating disorders, which is a catch-all category. Okay. Uh, it's important because we know those people also are very much suffering and sometimes they're just, you know, on their way to, a, you know, a fully diagnostic eating disorder, but even on their own it's problematic. But that's such a, a, a mixed bag that I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, can't know if I can say too much about that. But so, so I think for most eating disorders, perfectionism is highly related to them. And so a lot of individuals with those eating disorders would be 
quite elevated. Um, binge eating disorders where we're, we're less clear on how strong that relationship is. Okay. All right. So it can, it's sort of safe to say most people with anorexia probably have an element of perfectionism yes, happening. I would say that. I think that's fair. And is this predominantly a female thing or does perfectionism and eating disorders overlap in men too? Oof. Good question. And maybe that's my next research question because <laughs> I've, I've started to do more research on men. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that we've looked at that that much. What is interesting, I think, with men, because there's a focus on both muscularity and leanness, mm. um, often the perfectionism might be less so on a weight and it might be more on like a perfect physique and a certain kind of toneness and muscularity and leanness. So in that sense, I think that and I, I, I'd be quite confident that there's that link. I just can't right now tell you of a sure. study remembering that, but that we would see kind of perfectionism being very related to, for example, a drive for muscularity. And just like going back to perfectionism, apart from eating disorders for yes. a moment, can you talk about how does perfectionism typically develop? Is it like a response to external pressure or is it more an internal innate thing? So it's it's we think it's a bit of both. So we do know that there is a genetic component. So there's kind of some underlying heritability, but that certainly does not mean okay. And now you're stuck with it. Mm. But the environmental factors I think that contribute to perfectionism are the idea of modeling and also communication. So modeling is sort of what you might see your parents do. Mm. Like, am I seeing my my parents obsessing about getting something just right? And then there's communication, which would be actual messages that parents might communicate to their kids. So that could be, you know, in the setting, in the context of schooling, only, only A's are going to be what's good enough. But Professor Bardone Cohn says modeling and communication aren't just things you get from your parents. I don't mean to parent blame here because it's much more complex. Peers, social media, the wider culture all play a role too. You know, I think with peer culture, I, I don't know how it is. And obviously Australia is an enormous country. But in certain parts of the U.S., I think there's just crazy intensity about needing to achieve and and get the best grades and all of that. So I think there is these outside the home, you know, um, environments that can really promote the idea of having to go, go, go and never stop and, and you know, really trying to be the best at everything. Mm. And I'm wondering whether trauma plays a role at all in how perfectionism can develop, childhood trauma. Is that related? Um, yeah, I think that absolutely could uh, fit together. Um, I haven't dived into that research as much, so I can't speak as much to that. Sure. But certainly, conceptually, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think in the attempt of kind of coping or healing from trauma, um, kind of an antidote to kind of being in an out-of-control situation that was so hurtful could be, well, let me kind of figure out a way I can kind of stay in control. And that can include, you know, kind of a perfectionism aspect to that. Getting back to wider environmental influences, you can't really have this conversation without mentioning the role of media and social media. Professor Bardone Cohn says they play a big role in promoting perfectionism, especially in the area of body image. How much harder a space is this now, given that people have really strong messaging and communication in the palm of their hand and their phone with social media? Yeah. Like there's pro Emma accounts, there's all sorts of stuff. How much harder is it now compared to when you perhaps started your research? Yeah, no, I think it's it's devastatingly harder, is what I would say. And I should say, certainly social media, there are obviously really good things about it and good things about being connected. But I think there's a lot of concerning things 
you know, one of the the main things I think is the degree to which you can compare yourself with people at all hours of the day. And the tendency is to do upward comparisons. And so we see these images in the media that are also generally not realistic, Mm. you know, filters, and then also even in kind of personal social media, uh, people will post the pictures of them where they look their best, right? Yeah, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there's a quote that you may have heard from Cindy Crawford, and I'm pretty sure this is real. I'm pretty sure this wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but saying that um, Cindy Crawford said, I wish I looked like Cindy Crawford <sighs> does. It's like, right. you know, what that, you know what's out there is not, it's a perfection that doesn't truly exist God, that's um, in the world. I, I know. I know. <laughs> I looked up that quote to check if it was real. If Cindy Crawford really does say, I wish I looked like Cindy Crawford. And it is real. She says variations of that in both interviews and on Instagram. And here's the thing. Even if you don't struggle with perfectionism or an eating disorder, you probably at some point, maybe even now, have disliked your body. That is such a common experience that it's part of the reason Professor Anna Bardone-Cohn went into this line of research. For me, I thought, oh, you know, that that really affects, like, every woman I know <laughs> to yeah. some degree, right? So obviously not everyone has an eating disorder, but researchers have coined the idea of body dissatisfaction being a normative discontent. So it's sort mm. of, like, bizarre if you're satisfied with your body, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I will, I will say, this is just something that I, I found out later that just really struck me. Um, our family was getting together, and, and we were um, visiting my sister in the— Peace Corps in the Dominican Republic. And we just brought a few things to have sort of Christmas there. And one thing my mom brought was an old cassette where we had taped ourselves um, singing Christmas carols when we were little kids and also saying your um, New Year's resolutions. And so this is the recording was when I was in fifth or fourth grade. And so I would have been nine or 10. And my New Year's resolution was that I was going to lose weight. Oh, wow. I know. That's terrible. I'm, it's terrible. I know what I now terrible period. But then also like I know what I looked like at that age. It made no sense to want to lose weight. It right. made zero sense, you know? And so um so so anyhow, and then the perfectionism piece, I was struck by perfectionism because, you know, who you could think of who doesn't want to be perfectionistic. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, now we know there's there's definitely some downsides to it. And so um so I certainly had was much more perfectionistic uh, when I was younger. And, you know, it's a mixed bag because I think it did let me achieve like a lot of great things. But I also know that, you know, I was very stressed, <laughs> right? And um, and could have been doing some other things that would have uh, contributed to feeling, you know, fulfilled and well-rounded. So I think it's important for listeners to care about that because if they can envision, like say, listener out there who is very perfectionistic, I think if they can envision a world where, they still have their goals and they still put in the work and some ones they may really achieve, you know, quite strongly and others not as much. But if they can have that world and not be self-critical and be okay with it, I can almost guarantee they will be a happier person. They will feel more broadly fulfilled. They will be able to be kind of more multidimensional in terms of the experiences they have. And they might even, you know, get sort of the, I don't know if pleasure is the right word, but knowing that you can try something, not do it well, and still enjoy the process. And I'm thinking about that for for me in terms of um, I'm taking this dance class, and I used to be a dancer in high school, and I haven't done it in a long time. And 
oh, I am so far from perfect <laughs> going back to those dance class. But you know what? I am loving it. My Aww. body's loving it. And I'm getting better. I, I'm not saying, okay, I don't care. I literally, I do bring the video home and I do practice, but I practice like a couple times a week to get it more, you know, where I feel good about it. But I know it's not going to be perfect, but that's okay. I'm really enjoying it. And yeah, and that, that feels like a good mm. part of a good take home message. Yeah. And from a former perfectionist as well, it's good yes. to know the transformation <laughs> is possible. It's totally possible. Absolutely. That is Dr. Anna Bardone-Cohn, professor of psychology and neuroscience at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. You also heard from Jamie, a peer support worker and consumer researcher at Curtin University. If this episode raised any issues for you, you can reach out to the Butterfly Foundation. They run a helpline on 1800 33 and they provide support services, treatment and resources to people struggling with eating disorders. Again, that number is 1800 33 that's it for All in the Mind this week. Thanks to producer Rose Kerr and sound engineer Anne-Marie de Betancourt. I'm Sana Kadar. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.